And that's awesome. That is awesome. Now we know. Um, first of all, let me just share with you um, the importance of knowing who Christ is. And when it comes to that, that place for us of having an, uh, an idea of how, who God is in our life, how he moves in our life, we kind of get an idea of just exactly um, our relationship with him. A lot of you ask, uh, or might I have in your heart this picture of Jesus as being someone who simply died for you to give you the right to do whatever you choose. But as you grow in your relationship, you realize that he is much more than that, much more than that. And so as we look at this, as we look today uh, into our scripture, if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Matthew 16 verses 13 through 19. And as you uh, go there, certainly we want to uh, think about and want some of you to think about what it is, who it is that Jesus uh, is to you, and then share that with us in just a moment. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, we ask this morning that we will have that deep understanding of who your Son is. Some in this room have drawn so close to the word and so close to Christ that who he is to them has grown over the years. Lord God, I pray that we will find that Jesus is everything that we need. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So real quickly, uh, and unfortunately, we will not be able to hear it online, but I will try to repeat what you say. But somebody tell me, who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus to you? Lord. Lord. All right, so we have Lord. We have this one that we recognize Christ as our Lord, not just our Savior, but our Lord. We uh, freely become a slave to our Lord. We freely follow after him. All right, somebody else? Son of God. We know this. We know that this is who God is. We recognize him as the son of God, but also the Bible describes him as the son of man. We had to have the son of man in order to die for us. It took one like us to die for us. Somebody else. So the spirit of God, the the, the spirit that was in Christ has been passed to us as he was there when he was upon the earth. Somebody else. 
Savior. And what did you say? The one who has taught us the way, the mentor. He has shown us how. We have Savior. We have mentor. We have Son of God. We have all these different names. And I'll be honest with you, as we, as we walk with God, as we move forward with God, what we find with the Lord is that our understanding of who he is deepens the longer that we walk with Christ. The more that we walk with him, the more that we come to that place of understanding who he is and what he has done for us. I know that whenever I was a young believer, just a young Christian, I didn't have as great an understanding as I do now of Christ. And what a beautiful thing that that it is to to know Christ and to know all that he has done for us. He has walked my family through so many different things. He has been our savior, not just of our soul, but he's been the savior of our circumstance and our situation. He has been Lord over us and getting us to where he would desire for us to be and want us to be. And so I began to think about people in the Bible and who he was to them. And I want to look this morning at the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, verses 1, uh, we see, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And by the way, we all know something about Samaria. That was not a place the Jews liked to go. They were known as the half-breeds. They were considered to be less than, and they were really not uh, um, much thought, they were not thought well of by the Jews. But Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Can you imagine for a moment? This woman had an understanding of how she was viewed by those who were like Jesus, the Jews. She, understanding who Jesus was, knew his heritage, knew where he must have come from and that he was Jewish uh, by birth, he, she looks at him and she said, why would you ask that of me? But Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Much like others who struggle with understanding that Jesus Is not so much about the physical, but the spiritual. She couldn't gather, she couldn't grasp what it was that was happening here. The woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Folks, there are many people who are seeking righteousness upon their own. They're trying to 
fix the thirst that is constantly upon their life. And you can hear the same thing that Jesus just told this woman. You can keep drawing from the well that you're drawing from, and you can keep going back to the same stuff that you're going back to, but you will never be satisfied until you have found the living water that Christ brings. The woman said to to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Now, if you want to know what salvation is, salvation is confronting your sin. It's confronting your sin. It is realizing that you have issues, that you have problems, that you have sin in your life. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, go bring your husband. Go call him here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Are you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Again, she can't quite grasp who Jesus is, right? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Jews' hearts weren't right. And soon Christ would call even the Gentiles, even the Samaritans. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The one thing that even the Samaritan longed for was the Messiah. She understood that the Jews would have the Messiah sent to them, but she even desired the Messiah. And Jesus looks at her and said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus was her Messiah. All of the things that she had tried to fill her life with, multiple men, multiple relationships, and yet nothing could satisfy. And she said, I have longed for the Messiah. I have longed for the one that was chosen, the one that was separated apart, the one that was called to do the work of God. I have longed for him. And Jesus says to her, because of your sin, I cannot come to you. No, that's not what he said. Can I share something with you, though? A lot of times in our churches, that's how we view people. Those people are just too sinful to come into our church. They wouldn't fit here. Look at their sinfulness. Look at the color of their skin. Look at their past. They're not worthy of our church. 
Folks, if that's your attitude, then you're not worthy of this church. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. He had come for her. He was there. He was the answer to her prayer. Finally, her Messiah had come, and he did not look down on her because she was some half-breed. But instead, he looked at her as her only hope. Her Messiah. He was the anointed one, the Christ. God's special choice. But there's others. Think about the centurion. He was the healer. Do you remember the story? Hopefully you do. There were lots of other people around, but the centurion showed the greatest faith. Matthew 8, 5 through 13 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have, found, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. What we find here is that this man needed a healer. He needed that one to take and touch this one who was sick in his home. And he looked at no other place than Christ. I meet a lot of people. And those people always tell me. I've tried this and I've tried that. I've gone here, I've gone there. Would you pray for me? Why is it that God, that Christ is always the last resort? What great faith this man had. The first thing he does is he looks at Christ. He recognizes who he is. He says, I'm not even worthy that you come into my home, but my faith says you can heal right where you are. Jesus looks at him and he says, no greater faith have I found anywhere than in this man. He was his healer. Why? Because he knew who Christ was. Think about, we just mentioned that Mr. Moley passed away. But to be honest with you, he's experienced the ultimate healing. And when that trumpet blows, the dead in Christ will rise, and sin will no longer touch his body. Death can no longer touch him. Sickness can no longer touch him. There will be no need for a cane or a walker or a wheelchair. And he had put his faith in the ultimate healer, and God said, I've got this. What do you need today? 
What you need is Christ. It's not just physical healing. Sometimes it's spiritual healing. Folks, I've met a lot of people who've been hurt in the church. They don't ever want to come back to church because they were hurt once. My father was hurt as a young man and walked away at church when I was five years old. And I will tell you that at five years old, our life drastically changed. And for the next 30 some odd years, my father struggled with life. He struggled with all types of things. I would ask my dad, dad, why don't you go to church? And my dad would tell you because of what so-and-so did to me. I have no use for that place. And finally, the tragic event in my brother's life, which almost killed him. A church began to love on my father, and it was simply by sending quarters, just a simple Roll of quarters to my father at the hospital. Because, you know, when you're at the hospital, what do you need? Not, not anymore. Now you just need your credit card. But used to, you needed quarters. You had to stick those quarters in there and whatever. You put them in, you put enough money in, and then you hit the button, and whatever you wanted would come out. And, and that church understood that. And they loved on my father with quarters. And my dad called me. I had come back home. My dad called me. He said, son, I will be in church on Sunday. My dad needed healing. It wasn't a physical healing. It was a spiritual healing that my dad needed. And he found it in Christ through the love of a church. Think about Zacchaeus. He was about toddle size. He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. I don't know how he reached the first branch. Maybe he got him a ladder. I'm not sure. I love you, Toddle. Little Zacchaeus over there. Think about Zacchaeus, and I think about what he thought he had. He had money. It was not honest money. It was dishonest gain. But he had the very thing that the world thought, if you have this, you've got it all. You know how many wealthy people I have met who had absolutely nothing? Zacchaeus is there, and Christ became his salvation, his deliverance. Luke 19 tells us that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, first of all, let me share something with you. As you read this, there's a part in here that often we overlook. Zacchaeus was looking for Christ, but guess who was looking for Zacchaeus? Jesus knew the heart. 
And he knew that at that moment Zacchaeus was ready and that he was going to be one that God could use, that Christ could deliver, that Christ could be his salvation. And so he says, Zacchaeus, come on down because I am headed to your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Praise God that Jesus made friends with sinners. Because that's us. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by a false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Y'all ready for the next part? Zacchaeus is going to be broke. You ever thought about that? Half of his money he gives to the poor, right? If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, he was going to restore it how much? Fourfold. He went from being spiritually bankrupt and filthy rich to being financially bankrupt and spiritually rich. He did not care. Because all that mattered at that point was that salvation and deliverance had come to his home. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost? That's us. To his church, he is the door, the entry. John chapter 10, verse 7 says, And Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now listen, in order to get into heaven, you've got to go through the door. You can't go over the side of the fence. You, you can't bust your way through the fence. There's only one way to, only one way to heaven, only one door. And that is Jesus. Remember what John 14, 6 tells us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except how? By me, through me. All right? So we have that understanding. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the entry. This is who I am. This is what I've done. I have made the way for you. No, you cannot get there through the church. You can't get there through some sort of, of Bible study. And, and you can't get through there from baptism. It is about you making a conscious decision to say, I desire to follow Christ. And you can't do that until Christ calls upon you to do so. Aren't you glad that God has done the work for you already? A lot of us think, well, you know, I was baptized as a little baby. And according to our church tradition, I have been set apart. Folks, you weren't even old enough to know what you were doing. 
you don't even remember the baptism. It's whenever you and I come to that place of conscious decision of I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior that we can truly be saved. And I know there are a lot of Baptist and Catholic and Lutheran and Methodist and we're going to be in heaven and we all think we're going to be segregated in heaven. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's only one way and that is through the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ. We're not going to be separated. We're going to be one family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said, I am the door, the entry. So you want to tell me how you're getting in any other way besides your faith in Christ? It's not going to happen. But to his church, he's also the good shepherd. Let's keep reading. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they may have life and that they may have it, what? More abundantly. That's why I'm telling you, as a, as a Christian, I just don't get how a lot of so-called Christians walk around as though they've lost their best friend all the time. There is no joy in their life whatsoever. How can you be saved if we've been saved to the abundant life and yet you have no abundancy? Hmm. I get excited about Sundays. According to y'all, that's the only day I work. So, you know, I'm all excited about showing up for work finally. I've been relaxed all week, got my feet kicked up. Obviously, I'm eating good, you know. I mean, I got it made come to work for 30 minutes, and sometimes I feel like overtime. And then y'all start grumbling because I work overtime. Y'all complain I don't work enough, and then I work overtime and I get in trouble. Make up y'all's minds. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's come to give us life abundant. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Do you understand what he just said? He said, hey, sheep, you can't get through the gate without me. You're not going to be good enough. There's no other way in. The only way in is through this gate, through me. And because something has to be given, a life has to be given in order for you to make it in, he gave his own life for his sheep. It says, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock. And one shepherd. This idea of good 
advantageous, providing superior benefit. He is the best shepherd. He is the only true shepherd. With following the shepherd, there are so many advantages. There is forgiveness. There is freedom. There is worship. There is purpose. A lot of our youth right now are trying to figure out, well, where do I belong? How do I live life? What is my purpose? You know what your purpose is? Your purpose is the same as an adult. It is to draw close to Christ and to share the good news with those around you. It's to be Christ-like. And, and if you will take care of that aspect, God will take care of the rest. He'll lead you to what job you need. He'll lead you to what field you need to, 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 to work in as an adult. But right now, as teenagers, just learn to follow Christ. What does that mean? Be the opposite of the rest of your generation. The same as the adults around us. Be the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And the idea of a shepherd is minister and pastor. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There is no greater shepherd than Jesus Christ. There is no greater pastor than Christ himself. He gave his life for his sheep. Christmas, we celebrate a lady. Anybody know her name? Lottie Moon. We remember her. We, we celebrate the life that she lived. She ministered in China and literally gave her own life for the people so that they could hear the gospel and wound up in a uh, basically starving got sick, and because of her malnourishment, she could not get over it, and she eventually died. She never claimed to be the good shepherd, but because of her witness, many were pointed to the good shepherd. What you and I must do as sheep is recognize that even as sheep, God has put us in a place of influence. Do your coworkers recognize that you'd be willing to put everything aside just to worship God, just to follow him? Do your classmates recognize that you're not doing what everybody else is doing? You're not partying with everybody else. You are actually focusing upon Christ, focusing upon being who God called you to be as a teenager, as a child, as a young adult, are we doing those things because that example is what people are looking at? We may not be asked to give up our heartbeat, but we've been asked to follow Christ, to take up our cross. Jesus is the answer to everything in life. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. And Father, we thank you for the love that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask now, Father, that you just draw us close to you. 
And Father, that we began to recognize Jesus in every area of our life and recognize him that he is everything that we need. He is the Messiah. He is the healer. He is salvation. And he is our good shepherd. And so much more. Lord God, today, work on our hearts. Draw us close to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.